Well, good morning, community of faith. How are we doing today? All right. Hey, it's great to see you. It's great to be back. Uh, I always love any opportunity I get to be here with you. I want to start just by sharing with you one of the things that I hate for my kids is that they are going to get robbed of so many things just because life for them is now on demand. And I don't know if you've thought about this as a parent, but I've realized that my kids will never experience the joy of getting sucked into an infomercial just because they no longer have to channel surf. Like TV is just on demand. They only watch the shows that they want to watch. Whereas when we were growing up, we had to surf for what we wanted to watch. And I don't know if you ever found yourself in a moment where you just kind of wake up while you're watching TV and you're like, I think I've been watching something about a miracle mop for like 10 minutes and I don't know where the time went, but I just kind of got sucked into it. Those are infomercials. And I was just thinking back on some of the greatest infomercials that I believe we've ever seen. And I wonder if you ever got sucked into an infomercial where you were watching for two minutes or five minutes or 20 minutes or 30 minutes. I've thought about the George Foreman grill. Anyone ever buy a George Foreman grill? If you're an office fan, uh, Michael Scott burned his foot on a George Foreman grill because he liked to wake up to sizzling hot bacon. I definitely had a George Foreman grill when I was in college. There was also... The ShamWow towel. I don't know if you remember this miraculous towel that had the ability to hold 10 times its weight in liquids. So the ShamWow towel replaced all paper towels. There's no need to buy paper towels anymore because you could just soak it all up with this towel. And so the infomercial was just people basically soaking up liquid and wringing it out. And you'd sit there and be like, I need that for my life. It's crazy. Then there was the Snuggie. Do you remember the Snuggie? The Snuggie was just a blanket with sleeves. And so you'd see this commercial of these people having the worst day of their lives because they were cold while trying to change the channel. And it seemed like their life was very, very difficult because the blanket just wouldn't stay up. Enter the Snuggie. You just put your arms through the sleeves and you can sit there and be lazy and comfortable and warm. It's great. These are infomercials. And when I think about these different infomercials, why would we get sucked into them? And many of you are like, I don't know what your deal was with getting sucked into infomercials, but I, I don't know why. I do know why. We would get sucked into infomercials. It's because they were showing us the results. And so I could look at a, watch a Bovlex commercial for, with a guy just flexing his abs for 20 minutes, and I could look down and be like, I want that. You know, like, I want. There, there's something different between there and here, and there needs to be change. I, I want that. Or you could watch a commercial with Jessica Simpson or Justin Bieber talking about getting rid of their zits. And if you're, if you're young in life, you can be like, I actually, I think I need that. That's... The beauty of infomercials is that they're displaying the results and eliciting a response inside of you that wants what they have to offer. And I tell you that just because last week, if you were with us, 
Uh, we looked into John chapter 15, my favorite passage in the entire Bible, and we talked specifically about the key to life. The key to life can be packed into one five-letter word, and it's the word abide. This one word, it is the key to the best life possible, to the life that you truly want, which is a maximized life. A life where God is glorified and you are satisfied. That is the maximized life. And when you, when you live an abiding life, there are no more throwaway days. There's no more days where you just make it through life, where you just go on autopilot and make it. No, every day becomes packed full of joy and meaning. And what we said last week is, is to abide in Christ, it means two things. Number one, it's, it's complete and continuous connection to Jesus And then number two, it's desperate dependence upon Jesus. And so I hope that this week you've taken a step in abiding in Christ. And I hope that you've gotten to experience some of the joy that comes when you get completely and continuously connected to Jesus and when you desperately depend on him. Today, we're going to step back into John chapter 15. And what we are going to see are the results of abiding. So when you actually choose to abide in Christ, there's different things that will be true of you. And as we look into John 15, my hope is that the response you have might be the same response that you'd have watching an infomercial, that something in you would read this text and say, I want that. I want that to be true of me. And so I'm going to tell you, if you abide in Christ, three things will be true of you. There's There's three results for abiding in Christ. I'll just tell you them up front. If you abide in Christ, you will live a useful life. Number two, you will live an expectant life. And number three, you will live a glorifying life. And I want to walk you through these things so that you experience the results of abiding in Christ. If you have a Bible, turn with me this morning to John chapter 15. John chapter 15 is where we're going to be today. Again, I told you this last week, if I had only, if I had access to only one passage in the entire Bible, I would want it to be John chapter 15. Because when I first studied this text, it felt like I was being handed a key to life. If you remember from last week, Jesus is using a vineyard imagery. He shares these words with his closest friends on the night before he is to be crucified. And so I just want you to think about this idea. If you found out today that you were going to die tomorrow, what would you do today? Most likely you would gather the people that are closest to you, the people that you care about most, and you would choose your words wisely. That's what's happening with Jesus. He gathers his closest friends and he uses the image of a grapevine to teach them what it will look like for them moving forward to have the most intimate connection with him, okay? And so last week we looked, and Jesus informed us that he's the vine, and God the Father is is the vine dresser, the one who cares for the vineyard, and he told us who we are, that we are branches. So let me just remind you what we read last week. He introduces this word abide. He says in verse four, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, 
He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Now, watch what he goes on to say in verse 6. He says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So there's three results for abiding. The first result is that you will live a useful life. I don't know if you saw what Jesus says right there at the end of verse 5. He says, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Watch this wording. For apart from me, you can do Nothing. And then he goes on in verse 6 and says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Okay, so that, that seems a little terrifying, because if you're hearing what Jesus is saying, he's saying you can't do anything apart from him, and if you don't abide, then you are somehow going to get burned. And so... We need to talk about this very briefly because this is a debated text. And so if you were to go and read what different scholars say, different scholars say different things. Let me tell you three options for understanding this verse. Uh, One interpretation is that this is talking about losing your salvation, that if you don't live a good enough life or if you aren't committed to Jesus enough, then you lose your salvation. I have a problem with that interpretation simply because if you look at the rest of the scriptures, the scriptures over and over affirm the fact that you actually can't lose your salvation. And so let me just encourage you, anytime you come to a difficult text like this, don't ever build your theology around one verse, especially when Jesus is using a simile here. And so I think about my favorite verse that tells us that we can't lose our salvation, Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39, Jesus, or Paul says, for I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The second interpretation is that this is talking about Christians Um, or people who claim to be Christians but actually aren't, that their faith is fake. And so some people might say that Jesus here is referring to Judas, who has already left to go betray him. And so they believe that this is talking about people who claim to be Christians and aren't. And that is a possible interpretation of this text. And that might be what it means. And so it's good for us to just pause and say, hey, look, if your faith is fake, meaning you claim to be a Christian and you can play the Christian game of kind of checking into church a few times uh, a month or a, uh, a season, hey, Jesus loves you far too much to let you get by with secondhand spirituality. You think about secondhand smoke, just smoke that you receive from being around someone else. Jesus loves you too much to let you settle for a secondhand spirituality. Or just because you're around people who are walking with Jesus, let's just be clear, that doesn't mean that you yourself know 
Jesus, if you've never come to a place where you have invited Christ into your life to do business with your sin and to make you new, then today that opportunity is on the table for you. The third way to interpret this passage is is that it's talking about a Christian who lives a useless life. Because if you saw what Jesus said, he said, if you don't abide in me, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so I think he then picks up the imagery of the vine, and he's just kind of doubling down on what he's saying. He's saying, hey, if you don't abide in me, you're not going to accomplish anything that truly lasts. You cannot accomplish anything of eternal significance. And then he relates it to the vineyard imagery. He's saying that you are like a branch that's no longer connected to the vine. So there's no life. There's no nutrients flowing through the vine and into the branches. And what happens when a branch is not connected to the vine? It dies up. It it withers. It becomes useless. Why? Because if you've ever seen a branch from a grapevine that is disconnected, it there's nothing else you can do with it. You're not going to build a coffee table out of it. Like it's not even sturdy enough to roast a marshmallow on. It is truly useless. And so I think Jesus just carries out the the viticulture process that when branches are on the ground disconnected from the vine, what do people do? They just gather them up and throw them into the fire because they have become useless. I think what we are being told here is you can't lose your salvation, but you can absolutely lose your usefulness. And that should terrify us. Isn't that a crazy thought to think that you as a Christian can actually live a useless life? That should haunt us that we could be people who actually live useless lives. And the reason that that is so haunting is because we are consumed with with accomplishing. Like this room is full of achievers, people who want their lives to matter. They want their lives to count. They want to do big things. They don't want to be mediocre individuals. The question that you need to answer is who are you trying to be useful to? And so many of us, we want to be useful to everyone around us, especially our our boss or our coworkers. We want people that we work with or for to look at us and say, He does an incredible job. You know what? Who would we be without her? Or we want to be useful in the eyes of people on social media. We post the the top 1% of our lives just so that people can look in and be like, oh, you know what? They really are an incredible parent. Or you know what? The way that their marriage is, their marriage is just clicking. We want to appear useful to everyone around us. But right now we're talking about our usefulness to God. And and don't hear me wrong theologically. God can use anyone to do anything. But I'm talking about practically right here from our perspective. Jesus is very clear who is useful to God by telling us who's useless. It's the branch that does not abide. 
It's the branch that does not abide. And so what's interesting, we want to, when we want to be useful to everyone around us, if that is our goal, then don't miss what I'm telling you. Our usefulness boils down to our activity and our ability. Here's what I mean by that. When we want to be useful to everyone around us, then our usefulness boils down to our activity and our ability. So how much we're doing and how well we're doing it. But what Jesus is telling us here is this. The usefulness of your life isn't measured by your activity or ability, but by your availability. See, availability is the natural disposition of an abiding life. When you abide in Christ, when you're completely and continuously connected to him, when you're desperately dependent upon him, then you position yourself with Jesus every day in a way that makes you available for the life of Jesus Christ to flow through you to the surrounding world. Isn't it crazy to think that the richest person in this room can be useless to God this week. The most talented and high capacity, the smartest individuals in this room can be useless to God this week. If your usefulness in your eyes boils down to how much you can do and how well you can do it. What Jesus wants is he wants to accomplish his, he wants to accomplish his purposes through those who are available to him. That's how he has built his church. Look at the founders of the church. You you look at the original, the apostles, the, the disciples whom Jesus built the church on. What do we see in the book of Acts when when they are going out and proclaiming the gospel? Here's what it says. Now, when when the people And when the Pharisees and the scribes, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and watch this, and perceived that they were uneducated common men. You know what that means? It means that they were not the most useful people in society. If usefulness boiled down to your ability and your activity, these guys were not it. But what does it say? They recognized that they had been with Jesus. So here's what this means. God doesn't need you to do more or to do better. He needs you to abide. He needs you this week to be completely and continuously connected to him and desperately dependent upon him. If so, I promise you, you will live a useful life. The second result of abiding in Christ is that you will live an expectant life. You'll live an expectant life. Every day you can wake up with great expectation for what God is going to do. Look at what Jesus says in verse 7. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is a really interesting verse because Jesus is really cluing us into what happens when we actually 
abide in Christ, when Jesus isn't just a part of our lives, but he's the passion of our lives, and we wake up in purpose to know him and be known by him, something happens. Because remember the word abide, it carries the idea of dwelling together or moving in together. I remember when my college roommate and I, we lived together three of the four years. And as we lived together, we began to talk alike. We began to act alike. We had all these weird inside jokes. It's like we, we were connected like that. And Jesus is saying, hey, when we abide together, you know what's going to happen. You're going to begin to act like me, but you're also going to begin to talk like me and pray like me. It's like your device syncing up with the cloud. When you abide in Christ, your heart gets synced up with God's heart. Psalm 37, 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Do you hear what that's saying? You delight yourself in the Lord and what happens? Your heart becomes synced up with God's heart and your desires become his desires and he gives you your desires because your desires are actually his desires. And so the reason that I say that if you abide in Christ, you can live an expectant life is because as you abide in Christ, you're going to pray prayers that are way more in line with God's heart, and God delights in answering those prayers. And so you're going to get to see God answer many more prayers in your life. So every day you can wake up with great expectancy that as you pray, you are going to see God move. I'll explain it this way. Uh, My son, Noah, my oldest son, he's 11 years old. And on his last birthday, the night before uh, he was turning 11, my wife was out with some friends for the evening. And I was like, you know what? I, I guess I could try and like decorate the house for my son's birthday in the morning. And so I find like our decoration drawer. I open it and I pull out our happy birthday banners. We had two and I put those on the table and I found like one streamer color that I felt good about using. So I put that on the table and as, and as I'm kind of laying out the materials, Noah comes out of his room. I thought he had already gone to bed. He comes out and he sees the stuff laid out on the table. And so as he comes out, he knows I'm going to put up a happy birthday banner. So I was like, Noah, which one do you want me to put up? Like you can, you actually can choose it. And he picked the Harry Potter one, which was the same one as last year. Sometimes consistency is good, but uh, he went back to sleep and, and I did my best. I decorated the house. It looked terrible, just by the way, um, with one streamer color and, uh, you know, some half-inflated balloons. But anyway, um, Noah woke up the next morning and I saw him walking down the hall with just this great expectation, like he was just so lit up because he couldn't wait to see the culmination of everything that was in his father's heart. He knew the night before, there is something in my father's heart that he wants to do something, he wants to put something on display. And so I saw him walking down the hall with this expectancy, longing and excited to see the culmination of what was in his father's heart. The, The cool thing 
is that after he had gone to sleep and after I had done my best decorating, my wife came home and she was like, oh, that is so sweet. I actually bought a whole new happy birthday banner. It's Avengers. And we have all these new balloons that you didn't know about, but it's great. Thanks for the effort. Now let's get this house really ready for Noah. And so uh, my wife kind of pulled a Chip and Jojo and she totally transformed uh, the house. And the cool thing is when Noah rounded the corner expecting to see the Harry Potter banner and what he thought was in his father's heart, it was far better than anything he could have ever imagined. And the reason that I tell you that is that when you abide in Christ and your heart syncs up with his heart and you begin to pray according to his will, you know what is in your father's heart, your heavenly father. And so as you pray, you can wake up and you can go through life with great expectation that you're going to see the culmination of what is in your father's heart, but it will always be far better than anything you could have ever imagined. So you're going to see God work in someone's life and you're going to say, I never could have imagined that God would do all that he did in that person's life. Or you know what? God has healed or he has worked or he has provided far more than I could have ever imagined. This is one of the results of abiding in Christ. Your prayer life is actually a good indicator of how well you're abiding in Christ. Like here's a, here's a quick diagnostic check. When you pray, do you pray more like John 15, 7 says what it says, which is, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Or do you pray like the verse says, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Those are two very different things. To believe that it says, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you is very different than if you abide in me and my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Here's kind of a sobering question to answer. If God answered all of your prayers today, what would change? Like what would change? if the greatest thing that would change would be that your life is more comfortable, then you might be operating as if God is a genie instead of the God that he truly is. See, it's the difference between living wishfully and living expectantly to to. Live wishfully is to treat God like a genie. He exists to grant your wishes. To live expectantly as, is to live as if you exist to see God grant all that he wishes. You see that? To live expectantly is to live as if you exist to see God grant all that he wishes, all that is in his heart. So just think about it. If the greatest beneficiary of your prayers is you, you're probably living wishfully instead of expectantly, and there's a disconnect in your 
relationship with him. Your heart isn't synced up with his heart. Your heart is only synced up with your greatest desires instead of his. And so let me just encourage you, let his word become your words in prayer. When Jesus says, if my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you, let's take him at his word. Let's read his word and turn his word into prayers. I'll give you an example from my own life. Like Psalm 34 verse 18 says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. So in the different times when I'm talking to a friend or someone who is brokenhearted or going through trial or has lost a loved one, this is what I pray for them. Sometimes we have no clue what to say to people or pray for people who are in the midst of deep loss. God's word gives us the right word. So I pray, God, your word tells me that you are near to the brokenhearted. So I pray for your presence in their lives, Lord. I pray that you would heal the brokenness that is inside them as only you can. Or if someone has wandered away from the faith, Luke 15, it's the story of the prodigal son. It says, and when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. I pray that for people. God, I pray that they would begin to be in need. God, would you bring them to a place in life where they begin to be in need? Because it's only when they are in need that they will realize that you are the one that their soul is truly longing Abide in Christ. Let his words abide in you. And you'll live an expectant life. And then finally, not only will you live a useful life and an expectant life, you'll live a glorifying life. Look at Jesus' words in verse 8. What does he say? He says, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. You see what that says? By this, my father is glorified. That's extremely important, that Jesus is telling us exactly how to glorify God. The reason that that is so important is because the Westminster Shorter Catechism says this, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him for forever. Do you hear that? Man's chief end, like the point of your life, The reason that you exist today is actually to glorify God. And so let's just dial in real quick to the idea of the glory of God, okay? Because we throw that word around, but often we don't know what it means, okay? The, The Hebrew word that is translated um, glory, it's the Hebrew word kabod. And kabod literally means weightiness or heaviness. So when we talk about the glory of God, we're talking about the weightiness of God. We're talking about the beauty and the splendor and the majesty of God, the weightiness of God. To glorify God is to respond to his weight. And the best way for me to illustrate it is to just reference a camp blob. If you know what a blob is, if you've ever been to camp, a blob is that big pillow looking thing that camps will put out on the lake. It's a big inflatable pillow. 
And someone will climb up on a platform and they'll jump off the platform while another person lays on that pillow. And when that person's weight hits the pillow, it catapults someone into the air and into the water. And the way that a good blob works is the greater the weight, the higher the flight, and the bigger the splash. And the same is true with the glory of God. If the glory of God is the weightiness of God, the majesty and the splendor and the beauty of God, then when you position yourself under the weight of God, and when you allow yourself to behold his beauty, to experience his greatness and his grandness, the higher the flight and the bigger the splash, your life begins to declare to the rest of the world, this is how great our God is. How do you glorify God? Well, you abide in Christ because the abiding life is a life where you live near to God, where your eyes are open to what he's accomplishing in the world. Your soul is awake to his presence and his provision. Your view of him is constantly expanding as you experience his weightiness. And as the weight of his life weighs down on you, what is pushed out of your life is fruit for the rest of the world to see. And it is very glorifying to God. So let me just tell you this, and I hope you don't miss it. The Christian life is not about doing for God. It's not. It's not about doing for God. It's about delighting in God. Doing that flows naturally out of delighting is satisfying, but doing without delighting is exhausting. The abiding life is a life where you delight every day in who God is, what he's doing, and why he is doing it. And you live a glorifying life. And then I just want you to see how Jesus ended that verse. What does he say? He says, by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. God is glorified when being around him, when we see him, we then begin to show him. And his fruit is seen in our lives. And a world looks on and sees Jesus in us and wants to taste Jesus because of the fruit in our lives. Just think about this. I've got just an apple right here. Just listen to this. All right, great. You're like, this is so dumb. No, I want you to think about it. Like, can you kind of taste that apple in your mouth right now? Like, some of you are like, and since I just, it's 1030, I'm kind of hungry right now. And that apple sounded crisp. It was crisp. Like I'm still working on it right now. Like that, there's something in you that might say, yeah, I wouldn't, I, I kind of want to taste that. Some of you are like, I swore off fruit years ago and I um, never turned back. But I think about that, and I just think, you know what? When you abide in Christ, and you see Jesus, 
and then you begin to show Jesus. And people begin to look in your life and they see the fruit of Christ in your life and something in people begins to say, I kind of want that. Like I want to taste what you have in your life. And God is glorified by it. And so let me just encourage you that the application for today is not to go out and to bear fruit. The application for today is to abide in Christ. Do not settle for Jesus just being a part of your life. Let him be the point and passion of your life. Because it is only then that you will truly live a useful life, an expectant life, and a glorifying life. Let's pray together. And let me just say this with your eyes closed. If you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I, I want you to know we are not here to just be religious people. We're, we are here because we found a relationship with our creator, that Jesus Christ is the giver and the sustainer of life. Jesus Christ came to earth, lived a perfect life, died on a cross, rose from the dead, to rescue us into a real relationship with God. A relationship like what I'm talking about, an abiding relationship where we can experience a useful life, an expectant life, and a glorifying life. If you don't know Jesus, then today would you turn to him in prayer and invite him into your life. Just say, Jesus, would you come into my life today? Would you forgive me of my sins today? Would you come into my life and would you lead me in a new life with you as my Savior and you as my King? Lord Jesus, I pray for everyone here today that, God, that, that you would call us to deeper places of intimacy with you, that we today would abide in you, that we would experience the, the joy of delighting in you. Would you teach us to delight in you, that we wouldn't just make Christianity about doing more for you, because we want to be people who live useful lives. Like, would you use us to accomplish your purposes, God? And teach us how to pray this week. Teach us to pray in alignment with your heart. And God, I pray that our lives would be glorifying to you. That as we see you, we would show you to the rest of the world. And may people come and long to taste you and know you because of the fruit that's in our lives. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.